This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today. Welcome to Conscious Living here at the Specialty Produce Network. We are so glad you're here to support your lifestyle with the fastest growing resource for conscious families. So sit back, relax, connect, and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conscious Living. I'm Ashley Lee, your host, and I'd love to introduce our guest today. Her name is Mirage Memmer, and she is a mom of a two-year-old, beautiful, young, and highly sensitive child. Welcome, Mirage. Hello. So glad you're here with us. So share with me a little bit about, I know I have a lot of parents in my practice that aren't really sure what, what does a highly sensitive child mean, and, and what does that look like, and... What do you do? How do you how do you support someone who's very sensitive? Um, well, my son Levi, he, um, you know, I I don't even know what the textbook definition of of sensitive children are. But yeah. for me, for my child, it would be that all of those senses, right, all of your five senses plus maybe your sixth sense, is hi- is much more heightened than the average person. Yeah, um, and so. That, that to me is how I, how I define my child with it. Um, I want to say that it probably started when I was pregnant with that. Wow. Um, my five senses increased exponentially. So that was kind of my first clinician. Hey, mom, watch out for this. You're going to have your hands very full. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But a good full, too. It's really, I, I think it's really fun to raise a sensitive child. And so some days can be fun and some days can be really challenging. When you were pregnant and you noticed that, what, what did you feel or sense was happening? What did you experience? Um, well, I, well, I definitely had a really bad morning sickness. Um, and what I learned now is that I probably should have just eaten um, much more smaller meals, but much more frequently. Um, and comparing to my child now, he has an extremely high metabolism, right? So that makes sense. Just yeah. keep the fuel going. Um, and then as far as when I was pregnant with other sensitivities, you know, my my hearing, my sound, like just all of that was so heightened. Um, my husband would go and leave for work in the morning and we had a rule that he couldn't say, I love you because baby would be woken up by daddy's voice. So stuff like that. Um, you're at the grocery store and, you know, of course you hear other moms say, well, I, I had to stay away from poultry or this or that. I had to do it to a point where I had to, like basically train my husband how to go grocery shop. Um, And so you kind of, you kind of learn with all of that, that um, your child is going to be different in a way. And you are right, Ashley, there are great days and then there are much more challenging days. Today, this morning was such a challenging morning trying to get him off to preschool. Um, He didn't want to eat anything. And I realized now it was texture. He wanted different textures, mom. He wanted a buffet of it. 
But in return, when I dropped him off from school, he wasn't crying for the first time ever. And I realized I put in so much energy to making his life perfect. That was my gift. That was my, hey, mom, you did everything right this morning. I know I was really hard on you, but hey, I'm making it easy now. You know, so you kind of get that 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 balance with a child like that. Um, You try to make everything perfect as much as possible. And you realize that as you're spinning that web for them, that sometimes the flies get caught and it's not your fault but you just got to keep spinning it. You got to keep trying that momentum with them to balance that out because they're so overwhelmed with things. Yeah. If you don't create that balance for them, mm-hmm. that their um, imperfection gets just blasted away at times, you know, and it's, and it's very hard for them. Yeah. And what do you think creates um, a level of imperfection in a child who's two, right? Um, what, well, what, what's happening? What's, what's creating that well, imperfection? <laughs> um, I would I say that because his pediatricians, doctors, um, he's even going through some speech therapy right now. Um, it's funny because people say, "Well, what what triggers him to maybe have a screaming episode, or you know, when he was a baby to be colicky?" And I say, "Well, you don't have you have to understand everything has to be perfect in his world for him to thrive." And that, you know, you put a lot of pressure on yourself as a parent to say that the world is going to be perfect for your child. But when you realize that, you know, when he's at speech therapy and he can hear the air conditioner going on in the room next door and the water dripping maybe in the in the bathroom next door and you can't hear any of that, it's so much harder for him to pay attention. Right. Um, that's not an attention deficit disorder. That's a child who's hearing stuff that, you know, you didn't realize until later on right. and when they point that out. Um, so I hope that kind of helps to answer some of that dialogue. That Well, it does. I, th- it, you know. I think a child who, mm-hmm. ha- who needs to have a world that's perfect and in order and easy to work with is a child who has a strong sense of knowing. And when a child yeah. has a strong sense of knowing, I, I see that they are bringing in many sensory, extrasensory um, inputs or data points. So like you said, the data points on hearing for hearing the water drip in the next door room, people talking down the way, um, the lights flickering, all those other noises to filter, understand, process, and move out of the way so that he can hear the primary speaker. Absolutely. Those are are a Mm -hmm. lot of data points that we don't recognize if we have typical hearing, we don't recognize that it already we already come processing ready to be able to process out background noise. And yes. these kids yeah. that are highly sensitive in the auditory area or auditory spectrum, what happens is is they don't know how to discern and and block that out or tone that down. So when yes. when they get training, when you recognize that that's what's happening with them, and they get training, they actually do very very well and start to understand because they help their brain adapt to that extra sensory situation rather than try to muffle it or go to quiet places or do all of those things that you can do to modulate that overwhelm. But that our world is really not always like that, and we're not always in those yes. environments. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so, I, I completely agree. <laughs> nice, nice. Yes. Well, nice noticing because it is. It's very hard to notice with kids under two when, before they're pre-verbal, really, about what is happening in the world and what is the overwhelm. And I, so that's why I w- wanted you to share today, which is so amazing, is you've noticed 
a highly sensitive kids ever, ever since in utero. And then after birth and through infancy and young toddlerhood, what were some of the signs and signals that, that gave you an indication that he was highly sensitive and that he needed a mom that was aware of it and could help advocate him in those areas so he wouldn't be in overwhelm? What does that look like in a baby? Um, in a baby? Well, my first experience was something kind of out of this world. Um, it was probably the I can't even remember if it was like the second or third day that we were home from the hospital after having baby and he was in his pack and play uh, right next to our bed and that's where he was sleeping. And um, I thought it was maybe just my lack of sleep (laughs) um, (laughs) at first, but in the middle of the night I was kind of awoken with this weird fuzzy feeling and I looked and on our bedroom wall, there was this really beautiful golden horizon that, that came into our room. Um, and I mean, I don't know if it was a sunrise or sunset, but it was something I can't, I can't explain it. It was just this beautiful painting of, of just golden rays coming in. And I thought, wow, I'm okay. I am a tired newborn mom. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I have completely lost it. Um, and I told my husband, he goes, okay, sweetie, that's, that's really beautiful. And, uh, well, I'll go ahead and just fast forward after that. Um, I want to say when he was about maybe two or three months old, um, we would put him down every night again in the pack and play. And after putting him down the first couple nights, again, it was around his two or three months mark. I noticed that there were these gold little fireflies, I think is the best way to, to describe it that would swarm his, his pack and play. And it was this feeling of somebody's checking in. It's time for you to walk away. Just like give that space to that baby now. Um, I thought I was crazy. And my husband one night put him down and he said the same thing. And then my mom and my grandmother came to visit at one point. They said the same thing. Um, We would turn the baby monitor on. So, you know, as soon as we would walk away and we would hear high frequencies throughout the baby monitor, we would try to, you know, is it a technical problem? What's going on here? We couldn't figure it out. So it got to a point where we just said, okay, we're going to turn the monitor off for the first 30 minutes because we don't know what's going on and the high frequencies are now waking everybody up. Yeah. Um, the frequencies never happened during the day when he was napping or any other time. It was only the first 30 minutes that he would go to sleep. Yeah. And that's when I kind of realized, okay, this is definitely different. Yeah. You know, very different. Um, and as far as the physical... Uh, sensitivities. He did have some colitis issues at first. Um, And so I ended up changing up my diet, very, very strict diet. And that definitely helped out. I added some things um, like turmeric to my diet, my husband, uh, his background, a lot of their, you know, foods and spices. I tried to incorporate that thinking, okay, biologically, what can I do to help my child out? And it all worked. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of my first inclination as a baby. And you don't realize that until you fast forward and you go, well, wait a minute, other moms didn't go through that. Now I know why I did, because this child chose me. This child chose a mom who was able to recognize that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so what were some of the, what were some of the other um, ideas that she got that he was highly sensitive, like highly sensitive to maybe other people? Or other people's emotions? Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. Um, he had a he had a few instances where 
um, he could sense when people, either positive or negative energy, were coming in and out of rooms. Or um, I remember going to some get-togethers, and he was picking up on that. I thought, why is he so colicky all of a sudden? And we would leave, and sure enough, realize later on that some of the people he was around were maybe not the best energy to to go ahead and be around. Um, And you kind of learn that later on, but again, you go back to that thought of why is this happening in in this moment? And then you give yourself that time and you realize, okay, gotcha. That's why he did what he did. And that was the most frustrating point for me as a mom is going, why, why, why is he doing this? And then you, you go back and you kind of restructure everything. You go, okay, gotcha. I got it now. Um, and so there was that. And then we even we even would joke that I wouldn't need my cell phone in a grocery store because if dad was next door at another grocery store, Levi could tell us when he was coming in. He would start yelling daddy. And sure enough, he'd be on the other aisle over. You know, so, so just stuff like that, he could definitely sense. So he had really an increased awareness of people around him in his space yes. that was further than his sight. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and well, and nice, nice noticing too about these different things because when you notice them, when you started talking to him about them, how did he respond? Like, how is he responding with you and and the world around him, even though he gets sensory overwhelmed from time to time? Well, I I think the best example to bring up um, in our lifestyle, we travel a lot for Daddy's job, and. Um, I remember our last big move that we had, um, we we were in the airport and he was going through this pancake phase and literally on the airplane when he's maybe 18 months old, I'm explaining to him that, you know, not every place makes pancakes like mommy does. You have to eat these. And so just explaining, I mean, that's such a silly example, but just explaining that every part of the country is going to be different. Um, every kitchen is different, you know? And so now even at school, he's trying to adjust to that, that, wow, this is not mommy's food, but he's adjusting (laughs) to it. And so just kind of walking him through that, that, you know, you can smell something, you can taste something, you can touch something, you can be curious about it. And that's, I, to me, that's what's so cool about a kid and seeing his perspective is that he can use all those senses to figure stuff out. And when you give him that ability to go ahead and do that, it's kind of crazy how much more inclined he is to go and try new things because you talk to him about all the different senses, um, whether it be food, whether it be new places, whether it be new people, um, and just kind of supporting that curiosity, you know? Right. And when did you start these conversations with him? How old was he? Um, you know, I remember when he was a newborn, um, and yet I feel like I probably should have had those conversations when he was in utero. <laughs> um, because had I just said, okay, we're going to try chicken and this is what it tastes like. And, you know, <laughs> exactly. and these are the different spices. I kind of feel, I mean, that sounds silly, right? But maybe it would have worked because, mm-hmm. um, you know, my husband grew up with such a, not a strict diet, but it was a very limited diet. Um, a, it was just his background, you know, his, his mom knew how to make certain dishes and that was it. And B, they were on a very limited budget. So they had, you know, only certain resources for them to get what they needed to get. And not until we got married did that palette open up for him. And so I go, 
I think Levi is living some type of past life of yours because, you know, we kind of joke about it, but just like daddy, you got to try new stuff. And, um, (laughs) definitely, yeah, you're right. Definitely talking to him about it. Um, you know, even when we cook, gosh, I remember him being in the baby carrier in the kitchen, three months old. And I literally would put every spice, you know, within a good safety range of his nose. Right. But now as a two-year-old, he's on my hip. He wants to sniff everything. He wants to know what mommy's cooking with everything. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's always going to try it, but he's showing the engagement of it. He's understanding that there's differences. And just last night, husband is cleaning up the kitchen with a Lysol wipe. And he goes, I smell. What's this? And he goes, oh, this is it, sweetie. And he, and he shows him, this is what that very interesting smell is. That's, and he goes, oh, clean. That's right. We're cleaning the kitchen. So he's now associating those different senses with the action behind them. All right. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. And having yeah. those kinds of conversations so early help him engage and help him see and navigate his world around him, which I think eases maybe anxiety and overwhelm when much of that sensory input is coming in. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So when you have him sit down to um, learn or read or do colors or do different um, learning activities, how do you structure the environment that other parents can also notice maybe in their children when they're just a little off or a little different and not sure what to do, what advice could you give them to support maybe for a young toddler, um, even a boy toddler, right? Boys and girls are a little bit different. Um, But what, what do you do to structure his environment to optimize his learning and his engagement? Well, I've learned that the more minimal amount is much easier for him. Um, this time last year, we were in a little bit of a transition with my husband's job. And so we were at a rental and I had very limited space. And I said, you know what, I'm going to try something here. And I categorized as, as obsessive compulsive as it might sound, I categorized his toys for an 18 month old. Um, but that helped him because then he learned, okay, you know, we would go from light up toys to ones that made sounds to ones that would roll around with wheels, to ones that were maybe coloring, to ones that were stacking and sorting, and to categorize them in different bins because there were times where he just needed to sit and categorize colors for 30 minutes straight. I mean, putting little tiny blocks in ice cube trays for 30 minutes, and that would actually help him fall asleep. There were other nights, though, that that wasn't really working. He needed to go and look at something that was bright and colorful with some noise and some um, other sensory things with it. And so we would go to that. And that actually helped my husband out because then he saw that, okay, gotcha. This is how toys are manufactured. You know, there's, there's different components that they're going to try to help out with a child. And so that was really helpful for us. And then as far as the minimal part of it, um, you know, the way our living room is set up is again, that those different categories, but, Every night, he helps us put the toys away. He helps us put things away so that he understands that, you know, when he wants to go and transition to maybe another game or something, he now has the ability to go and do that because he remembers where he put it. Um, And he takes ownership of that, you know, that, no, 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 these are my trucks. 
and I'm putting them the way that I want them. Um, he definitely has his father's organizational, you know, OCD type of type of behavior, <laughs> um, which is not a bad thing, right? Yeah. I mean, a, a, a two-year-old who wants to clean up their toy, go figure. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that's kind of the advice I take. You know, um, I know other moms who have probably eight times the amount of toys we have. I mean, I'm not kidding with that. Um, and I noticed that their children are engaged in activities um, about half the amount of time that Levi could. You know, Levi could go and sit and play cars for 30 minutes straight. He could go and sit and play with his kitchen and interact with us for 30 minutes straight. Whereas other kids, I notice if you have so many toys and it's cluttered and things aren't organized, that they kind of go from one thing to another to another to another. And they're really not able to figure out the properties of how certain toys work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what helps Levi out. He wants to know why things work the way that they do. And so um, that's, I mean, that's basically what, what we do. But yeah. we also kind of do a rule where we do high activity, low activity, indoor activity, outdoor activity. Um, you know, obviously, depending on the weather, especially with how cold it's going to be getting soon, you know, you have to be a little bit more creative with it. And so one of the things we would do in the winter is uh, go to our um, Costco run or whatever, and we get a bunch of paper towels and we stack them and we run down the hallway and we run into it like a football player. And that lets out so much, you know, pent up energy for him. And so doing something like that and then sitting down and doing flashcards or sitting down and playing with, um, I don't know, like a color sorting game or something. And so going from the high to the low, he's able to learn that there's times for you to be high energy and then there's times for you to be engaging and have eye contact with somebody and, you know, be um, conversational with them and, and and that type of thing. Right. Right. And so, like, for example, you mentioned about how he... has some auditory stimulation sometimes. So when, if you're in a loud, noisy restaurant, how do you work with that if he's having a downtime with his overwhelm or sensory overwhelm? What do you do with him? That's hard. That's yeah, hard because we, we actually kind of avoid that <laughs> um, because it is so tough. I'll be very honest. I mean, more, more blunt than anything else, we just don't really do that. Um, and so we kind of have to be creative sometimes. We'll have get-togethers. We'll have people come over um, because he is most comfortable at home, right? Yeah. Um, but if we are out, and again, like how I said, we do travel a lot because of daddy's job, we have to kind of accept that. Um, so, you know, when he was little, and I mean little, little, like baby little, um, we would talk about what was going on in the restaurant. We would you know, just try to be very goofy, very engaging. And then as he got older, um, he would, he would have these episodes where we would go to order food and we would have his food and he would scream at the waitress. And I realized now he wanted to pick something out, you know, even though we knew he was so picky, he at least wanted to try something. So we kind of incorporated, okay, this is our waitress. We're going to give her a high five. Hi. And be engaging and including him with the conversation, with everything. Even if it's just an appetizer that we think he might want to try, we go for it. Um, So when you engaged him and when when you engaged him and you got him to participate in the menu um, deciding, how did he respond? Um, 
I would say he was more inclined to understand the process. Again, you know, you go back yeah. to a kid who wants to know why things work the way that they do. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so we would try to, I would actually try to sit in certain spots of the restaurant that would have a purview of the kitchen. So he could see that yeah. there's not just mommy's kitchen, there's other places and seeing the process that okay, you order and she goes, or, you know, he goes and, and gives the chef the order and comes back and brings you your food and that's his service. Um, and then more recently, um, like for instance, we love going and getting our weekly donuts at our little donut shop and finding like at the table that they got dairy creamers that you can stack. He loves stacking and he'll go and stack that. But for five minutes, he's quiet and he's engaged. And we go to familiar places where they yeah. do know him. And so, for, you know, for instance, his, his little donut shop, they know him, they know Levi. Right. And he's engaged with the customers there and retirees who go and get their little coffee and their donuts, say hi to Levi and give them hugs. Um, and part of it is just going to those familiar settings. Right. Right. Well, thank you. Gosh, so much information about how to work with a young, young child and baby and even inside. I, that was great advice too to talk to. We all, should all talk to our children when we're when we're gestating them, you know, when we're going through pregnancy, I think even dads and other siblings should as well. It's really helpful for the baby to get used to your energy, even when they're inside. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) And then all those other ways as they start to grow older through infancy, I, I think a lot of people are unaware that they a lot of the kids can have hypersensitivities or over or sensory overwhelm. Um, even from things that we hadn't considered, right? Like the weather or other people's energies or other people's emotions or different types of foods, textures, um, all of those things we don't recognize. You know, we say, oh, they're 10 months old. They should be having textures. Well, when your child doesn't like that or wants more, then there's something that there's a sensory need that is you know, being expressed. And it's just up to us to kind of pay attention to that or notice that. And then as we start to support them, right, he becomes more uh, pleasurable to be around. He's happier, right? He's more engaging. He's learning faster and easier, maybe sleeping better. All of those things contribute to a much happier and well-rounded and balanced lifestyle for him. Yes, I would definitely agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was such wonderful insights, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much, Mirage. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for another amazing episode of Conscious Living here at the Specialty Produce Network. For more information on how to support your lifestyle with the fastest-growing resource for conscious families, Visit our website at www.centerforconsciouskids.com. That's www.centerforconsciouskids.com. Join us again next week as we get a little bit more conscious and a little bit more centered. And we'll see you then. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you.